Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. True Hauntings is a Human Labs original podcast. It all began with a 13-year-old boy named Roland in 1948. The newspaper blasted the following. In what perhaps is one of the most remarkable experiences of its kind in recent religious history, a 14-year-old Mount Rainier boy has been freed by a Catholic priest of possession by the devil. Just over 20 years later, a writer who had first heard of this story while he was at university decided to drop everything to write a book that would change our perceptions about possession, revolutionise the horror movie genre and even win an Oscar. What are we talking about? Find out in this week's episode of True Hauntings. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. So as you're listening to this episode, everyone, we are currently in Norfolk Island, enjoying the history, the food, the people and the shenanigans. Oh, absolutely. We had a lovely lady, Liz, contact us and she wanted to do some ghost hunting on Norfolk. And we've met Liz before and she is the real McCoy. Her name is Liz McCoy. Mm. And everyone always has to do that joke. I'm sorry, Liz. <laughs> yeah, so it's such a historical location, isn't it? Yes. And we've been there a few times now and it's always a joy to go back. We were hoping to go back sometime last year, but... We, we won't mention know, that word. Yeah, Don't we, mention we it. We all know what happened. And so when Liz contacted us this time, it took us about two seconds to say, yes, we're coming. And two seconds was an exaggeration mm-hmm. of how long it took. It was mm-hmm. much less. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
So we're going to do a lot of ghost hunting while we're there. We're going to explore. We're actually staying for an extended period of time. We we're, are. We, we are there for seven days. Ooh. So we get to do a lot of exploring. Hopefully what we will also do is a lot of recording to be able to share on our Facebook page. Yeah, and where's your favourite place in Norfolk Island? What's your favourite haunted area? Oh, look, it's it's got to be down on Quality Row mm-hmm. and... The duplex. Yeah, the duplex. That's what I was going to say as well. I love the duplex. Now, oh. you, if you don't know what the duplex is, you will have to jump on to our page, our Facebook page at Anne and Renata Frightfully Good. And it's got a little, little dash there, Anne and Renata dash Frightfully Good. And watch the lives and watch the shenanigans uh, because <laughs> there will be many of them yeah the convict history there blows my mind and the cruelty of humans to other humans mm. and that is what leaves the stain or the memory on the land mm. now what did we actually do before all of this what did we do just a few days ago oh we were on a, a zoom zoom what do you call it not meeting but a presentation mm-hmm. that was organized by Randwick Cam- Council because we do investigations or we run experiences for people to experience a paranormal investigation at uh, Prince Henry Hospital at Little Bay, which is very near Sydney, New South Wales. And we've been doing that for a while. I've been doing that for six to seven years now. So mm-hmm. they, they wanted us to do a bit of a presentation on our experiences and the legend of the ghost Gracie. And I actually think we might do a podcast on the Prince Henry Hospital and Gracie the ghost. So oh, I'm not going to give away too yeah. much here. I think it's a good idea. But we had a lot of very interested people. There was somebody who got very excited by the ghost or attachment that was on my shoulder that was creating a dark shadow behind me and seemed to be following me every time I moved, which was called a green screen casting a shadow. (laughs) So we debunked that one. Straight away. Amazing. <laughs> oh, we're just so good at ghost oh, hunting, aren't we? so good. Right. All right. Anyway, let's get to this story because this was another rabbit hole event. Oh. This, this, oh, we, I thought I knew this yeah. inside out. I really did. But yeah. I don't. I, I don't even know where to start because it's just so discombobulating. Mm-hmm. How's that for the word for mm-hmm. the day? All right. But we're going to do a little bit differently. So we're actually going to Look at the person behind the main story Mm -hmm. and the person behind the book and a little bit about the book itself. We're even going to start with an extract from the book. Hang on, guys. Here we come. He held her steady gaze and then turned with a frown to the bedroom door. As he grasped the doorknob, the sounds from within ceased abruptly. In the ticking silence, Karis hesitated, then entered the room slowly, almost flinching backwards at the pungent stench of mouldering excrement that hit him in the face like a palpable blast. Quickly reining back his revulsion, he closed the door. Then his eyes locked, stunned, on the thing that was Reagan, on the creature that was lying on its back in the bed, head propped against a pillow while eyes bulging wide in their hollow sockets 
shone with mad cunning and burning intelligence, with interest and with spite, as they fixed upon his, as they watched him intently, seething in a face shaped into a skeletal, hideous mask of mind-bending malevolence. Harris shifted his gaze to the tangled, thickly matted hair, to the wasted arms and legs, the distended stomach jutting up so grotesquely, then back to the eyes. They were watching him, pinning him, shifting now to follow as he moved to a desk and chair near the window. Hello, Reagan, he said. He picked up the chair and took it over to the bed. I'm a friend of your mother's. She tells me you haven't been feeling too well. Do you think you'd like to tell me what's wrong? I'd like to help you. The eyes gleamed fiercely, unblinking, and a yellowish saliva dribbled down from a corner of her mouth to her chin. Then her lips stretched taut into a feral grin, into a bow-mouthed mockery. Well, 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 gloated Reagan sardonically, and hairs prickled on the back of Karis's neck, for the voice was an impossibly deep bass, thick with menace and power. So, it's you. They sent you. Well... We've nothing to fear from you at all. Well, this turned out to be a long, drawn-out... Agonising. Agonising segment. It did. Mm. And where do you start when there are so many bits to this particular story? Well, as I was saying to you, it's like the chicken or the egg. What comes first? Do we talk about the movie and the true story, supposedly, of mm-hmm. the, the movie, or do we look at the actual haunting? So I, I twisted your arm and made you go first with the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So The Exorcist was released in 24 theatres in the United States and Canada in late September. Oh, a Christmas movie. Oh, <laughs> was amazing. it Halloween? It's probably closer to Halloween. So audiences just went berserk. They flocked to it and there were long lines streaming around corners of all the theatres. Do you remember that? Like when the movies used to have big lines to get into them? I do too. It was really special because they'd only have one cinema Mm -hmm. and it wasn't like the multi things they have now. You'd all line up to go and see Julie Andrews and the sound of music. And it would go on for weeks. It would go on for weeks. And because it was winter, these people were just standing there in these long rows freezing to death to get in to see see this movie called The Exorcist. Now, we've got to remember the times, and the times were that sort of era where nothing like this had ever been done before. Nothing like this had ever been done before. It was a new genre. They, they, They were really testing the waters with really hyping up all of the horror parts. Or should we call it a genre instead of a genre? (laughs) Now, some viewers 
when they went in had really adverse reactions. This, oh, sounds, this oh. sounds a little bit like Blair Witch, right? So there was fainting, there was vomiting. Oh, no, yeah. I'd hate to be the attendant. And they actually, um, I read in, in um, one piece of information that they actually gave out bath bags. <laughs> On each seat with pictures on them from the movie. What? Yeah. That's so there was one. Bath, just to make sure you get every little drop out. One. One. <laughs> there, were, there was one, for example, with the priest's picture on it, and there was one with Reagan's picture on it. I and wonder all if people sort of, sort of changed the bags around to get the picture they wanted. Mm. I want Reagan on my spew bag. So depending on and like this was this was huge back then. So I, I don't know how exciting it would be for people who have never seen this before to watch it now, as opposed to some of the horror movies that we have. But you've got things like realistic, violent masturbations with oh, a crucifix excuse me? going on. Sorry, but that's what happened. Oh, Everyone will be <laughs> taking this out now and watching it. I don't remember and, that scene. <laughs> I think they cut it out after a while. <laughs> the masturbation or the scene? I'm going to have to rewatch it now. It, I, I, it shocked me when I read it again. I thought, did I, did I actually see that? In the, yeah. Anyway. Well, maybe I've just wiped it from my mind because it was just too <laughs> horrific. Because that would have been Reagan, the, the, the yes, young girl. That was, yes, yes. How does the director yes, explain that to us? Yes. Well, we watched the thing. Um, we did. Where they did the special effects, mm-hmm. which was hilarious. Mm-hmm. But yes, she, the big machine that was they were just flinging stuff off. Yeah, she she had to be supervised throughout the whole thing, so she wouldn't go into um, it wouldn't some be scarred sort of psychosis. For life. <laughs> I think she was scarred for life. There was one psychiatric journal that said that this was cinematic neurosis. Triggered by the film. Oh, I like it. So it was the suggestibility yes, of it. So yes. yeah, and, and of course, people that were saying it was based on a true story mm-hmm. as well. Which yeah, that that's enough to blow your mind. Now there are also even reports of heart, if, heart, heart attacks I and miscarriages. Sales, oh my god! I wonder if the sales of crucifixes went up after this oh. movie. <laughs> Giant size ones. <laughs> so there were a lot of children that were taken to see the film, leading to charges that the ratings board had done a bit of a deal with Warner Brothers, giving it an R rating. Now, I don't know if it was this one or The Omen that my mother tried to take me to and they refused to let me in. Mm. I was probably about nine. Mm. So they're, they're saying that it actually deserved an X rating but it got an R rating and maybe a few hands were shaken to get that happening. Lots of cities made efforts for it to be banned and to at least prevent children from seeing it. But we know that this movie completely changed everything and it actually ended up winning an Oscar. So it was the first horror movie to actually win an Oscar. Mm, Very, very interesting. Of course, I remember going to see it at the Mm drive-in and I have to say that- I don't remember anything I saw at the (laughs) drive-in. So I always went with Roman. (laughs) I remember the windows being very fogged up. Oh, God. I remember going to see this at the drive-in with two friends and I I can say I spent the whole movie with my head under a blanket in the back. Oh, the sheet of protection. 
shit of production going, oh, I can't watch this. I just can't. Oh, my God. It scarred me for life. I don't know about anything else. Hmm. Yes. So The Exorcist movie is based on a book which is also called The Exorcist, which is loosely based on a story of a true possession that appeared in the newspapers. Um, Can in, I say allegedly true, pos- true possession? Yeah, allegedly. Mm. In around 1948. We'll go into that a little bit in a minute. Of course, a lot of parts of the movie were changed, but the main concept of the story remains the same. A young child gets possessed by the devil and they bring in priests that try to extricate the demon oh, out of the child. Yes. And so the story is all bound about what happens when the priests come in and try and do the exorcism. Mm-hmm. And we've found out through our history doing these True Hauntings podcasts that exorcisms don't always go well, do they? Mm. Mm. Well, apparently it, it produces pea green soup. Yeah. Pea and ham soup. And it certainly did here because one of the most famous scenes in the whole movie is when Reagan's head spins 360 degrees. Mm -hmm. Everyone needs to go and watch that one. Oh, look, get onto YouTube, guys, and look up the making of The Exorcism because it's fascinating how they did it. Mm. And and if you think of the time, and that was in the 70s, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. That that was quite amazing special effects. Mm Mm-hmm. And the pea green soup was something that took a long, the pea pea green soup vomit thing. (laughs) Was was, there carrot in it? There's always carrot. (laughs) (laughs) There goes that famous wheeze that everybody loves as Ant pushes her over the edge. (laughs) Oh, so true. And that actually took a lot of work to recreate and the, Really interesting thing about that was when Reagan did do the vomit scene, the gentleman who was the priest in that movie, the look that you see on his face is (laughs) real because it was never supposed to hit his face, but it did, and he was disgusted. Absolutely disgusted. It's lucky it wasn't me because I'm a gagger. If there's, oh, hang on, I should rephrase that with, with vomit, with vomit. If somebody vomits near me oh. or goes, I'm off. Oh, my goodness. If you don't know anything about these, these bits and pieces about the movie, then you will look at it very, very differently. And so we have the story of the movie and the things that happened because of the movie, which is just one big drama all on its own. We don't even have to go to a drama llama. William Batty and his association with how he got to this point in time where he felt it was the right time to write something like this. And let's not even go to the very original story of the young boy who was allegedly possessed in the first place. Hang on, Wait. It wasn't a girl called Reagan? No, it wasn't. (gasps) Really? No. So this actually should be called the possession of? Reagan. Oh, God. (laughs) No, the possession of the boy's name. Oh, the boy's name. Hang on, she needs more coffee. Let's try that again. I don't, I don't. The possession of Roland Roland Doe. Yes, which Mm. wasn't his name anyway. No, I know. So 
Let's go. Tell me to... more. Tell me more about this person that wrote the book. Oh, William Blatty. Yes. Okay, William Blatty. How does he fit into all of this, and where did he get his resources from to write this particular book? That's so true. Mm, well. There weren't many resources other than what was written up in the local newspaper. And William Blatty at that stage was a senior at Georgetown University. So we're going back to 1949. And he heard this extraordinary story. He read about it in the local newspapers. So this all happened in Washington. And one of the things when he wrote the book was that it was set in Washington, but when it got to the movie stage, the producers actually didn't want it set in Washington. They didn't think it was going to be sassy enough. They mm-hmm. wanted to make it set in Salem, Massachusetts, oh. because they thought, you know, that oh, would add the yeah. demonic part. That's right. They're all the witches, got to mm. blame the witches. Now, William actually put his foot down and said, no, let's... Let's make it amongst the political scene of Washington Mm -hmm. where it could literally be happening in your hometown, anywhere. This could happen anywhere. The normals. It could happen to the normals. That's right. So he was at university. This is William Blatty. And one of the priests at the university told him about the case because it was from a nearby township called Prince George's County. County, And it was of a 14-year-old boy who seemed to be possessed by a demon. There were months and months of rites of exorcism by Catholic priests performed and the demon finally was expelled. What? The exorcism worked? Mm-hmm. So we go back to just one and probably one of the most infamous press releases, and this is of the sort of original showstopper, if you can say that, that would have drawn everybody's attention. And this is what seems to be mentioned many, many times, this particular press release, and it starts off saying, Ritual of Exorcism Repeated, Priest Frees Mount Rainier Boy Reported Held in Devil's Grip. Now, that would set off everyone. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Everyone be praying for him. Yep. And Blatty saw this article on Roland Doe. A friend was in his house and threw the paper at him and said, check this out, and this gave him this idea of writing a book. So at that stage, Blatty had been doing many, many different jobs. He'd sold vacuum cleaners, he'd driven a beer truck, and he actually had served in the Air Force for a while, actually in the psychological department, which is quite interesting. Hmm. So he knows how the human mind works and what triggers it. Mm. Yes, and he was also a comic novelist and a screenwriter in Hollywood. So screenwriters in Hollywood obviously sell vacuum cleaners and drive beer trucks (laughs) when things aren't going well. Now, he worked out this idea, sat down at the typewriter, took a year off all the other jobs that he had and wrote this book. And when you consider some of the way that the book is written and you read a bit in the soundscape Mm -hmm. there, This goes very dark, very, very dark. Mm -hmm. So he had quite an intriguing mind to actually slip into that sort of darkness to write this. Now, you have to also remember that some 
other bits of William's Blatty, William Blatty's work actually include writing for one of the Pink Panther movies. Oh. Da, 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 da. So you have this comic writer now turned to writing this That's evil. interesting crossover, isn't dark, it? Dark, yeah, malevolent stuff in this book. Oh, I like it. Wow. So the 1973 film version won an Academy Award for screenplay and revolutionised the genre of horror movies and became a pulp culture phenomena. A pulp? Non-phenomenon. Pulp or pop? Pop. What did I say? Pulp. Pulp. (laughs) I'm thinking of pulp fiction. Um, And that was because of the gorgeous, beautiful young Linda Blair, Mm. who was this little angel. Yeah. Little angel. And they, again, for the movie, it they just went on and on and on and on through so many different people to try and work out who would be the best person well, it has to, to be take on. a very special actress to this pull particular this, role. this role off because, yeah. yeah, and she was young, so there would have been a whole lot of child welfare issues to mm-hmm. deal with. My son worked over in America when he was... 16 and the amount of child welfare hoops you've got to jump through is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a scathing review in the Time magazine and I'm going to read it to you. This is what they actually said about The Exorcist when it came out in the movie theatres. And they said, it is a pretentious, tasteless, abominably written, redundant pastiche of superficial theology, comic book psychology C-grade movie dialogue and grade Z scatology. That won an Academy Award. (laughs) In short, The Exorcist will be a bestseller and almost certainly a drive-in movie. (laughs) (laughs) What a prediction, huh? (laughs) Now, how do you sell this? How do you even go ahead and sell this? So they've made a movie. Okay, fantastic. There's probably a lot of backstory and bits and pieces of information are coming out with regard to it. Not much went ahead. There were obviously there was this backlash of religious trauma that mm-hmm. something like this was going to go ahead and Blatty found it really difficult to try and sell this. No one would even get him on talk shows. Wow. But there was a late-night talk show called the Dick Cavett's Talk Show. And Blatty, I'm sorry, that's my high school naughtiness coming out of me. Yeah. Blatty was a an emergency guest, so he was called in at the last <laughs> moment. Our, our other guest is sick. I'm sorry, can you come in? And he, We're desperate. Yep. So he and Cavett ended up discussing demons, exorcism and Catholic theology for 45 minutes. So it actually ended up taking the whole program. Wow. Now, from that moment on, people couldn't get enough of the information about this upcoming movie. So it was on the best and, and the book, right? So it was on the bestseller list, the book, for over a year, eventually selling more than 13 million copies just in America. And it was translated into dozens of other languages. So Batty sold the film rights, obviously, and he demanded that he had full artistic control as the producer. He was on set the whole time. The movie was directed by William Friedkin and filmed largely in Georgetown. So the cast actually included Max von Sydow. Now, most of you are probably too young to remember Max von Sydow. Rat remembers him well. I do. (laughs) 
<laughs> got no idea. And he was actually in his 40s when he did the movie, so they had to spend almost as much time getting him in his character through makeup as they did with Reagan in oh, her what? demonic scenes. Wow. There was also a beautiful female actress called Lee Cobb and Ellen Burstyn. And, of course, Linda Blair, who was only 13 years old when she played Reagan McNeil. Now, the makeup master was Dick Smith. <laughs> he was very he good had... at flying helicopters around the world to explore. <laughs> Obviously, before he Making had his... his own version of Vegemite. <laughs> yep. No. And uh, Dick helped make the movie something special with his shocking special effects makeup, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. bulging eyes, rotting teeth, projectile vomiting, and, of course, the head that would turn 360 degrees. Proving that Dick can handle anything. <laughs> <laughs> I broke Renata again. Yay me! <laughs> and now the piece de resistance was the musical theme. Yes, everybody knows it. Now you just put a bit of that tinkling stuff on and everyone goes, oh, what's that? I know what that is. I remember buying the CD. Not the the CD, the the, the cassette. (laughs) The cassette. Was it the gramophone with the wind-up handle, Renata? (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) So this is Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells and this is... It's a classic. Yeah. It's a classic. I'm hoping the boys might put a little bit of it just there so yeah. people can hear it. You know, you probably need four notes and everyone know what it is. Mm. Now, interestingly enough, the Catholic Church overlooked the blasphemy in the book and the movie, including Linda Blair's unauthorised use of a crucifix. <laughs> oh, you mean she didn't have permission <laughs> to do that? No. How dare she? And all the profanities that were coming out I'm, of her mouth. I'm still really quite disturbed by the 13-year-old girl and the crucifix. Yes, 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 yep. But what went on behind the scenes was a very different thing because we know of lots of stories when the Exorcist movie actually finally came out. The Catholic Church went nuts Mm -hmm. and shut down everything to do with speaking to the dead. So using spirit boards, using Ouija boards. And this is where Ouija boards were um, demonised in this movie. All of this was then looked upon as complete and total blasphemy against the church. It was not to be done anymore. Yep, and this is where everything changed. So the movie actually was nominated for 10 Academy Awards. Wow. And it won two. So Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Sound. The Exorcist broke box office records everywhere and lots of different magazines and movie, what's it called when they go and they check the movie out and they critique, critiques, 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 just blasted the movie and said it's worthless. It's just horrible. But you get a free bath bag. With every seat. Now, for this, it was like waving a carrot in front of every single moviegoer in the world. <laughs> they go, we've got to go see this. So he made a ton of money. As they say, any publicity is good publicity and, unless it yep. involves animals and children. Mm, yes. So let's go back even further and let's just look for a moment 
at the story that we just started to tell about where this all originally came from. So let's all start at the very beginning. A A very very good good place place to start. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good deja vu. And and where does this all actually stem from? What what was the catalyst here? And the catalyst was this story that appeared in the paper uh, in the late 1940s about a young 13-year-old boy named Roland who was in an average family, nothing hugely interesting within the family itself, Mm. but... Weird things started to happen when Roland's aunt died. Yeah, the media has a lot to do with how this case germinated, mm. which I'll report on. Mm-hmm. So he it started with scratching noises in the basement. The boy said that he saw an image of Jesus in his grandmother's room twist and move as if someone was hitting the wall behind it. At first, the family kind of thought, oh, it's probably rats. <laughs> It's it's probably rats going through things and he's seeing things move. But Roland's mattress would move violently in the middle middle of the night. There was a constant bashing coming from the basement. There was a smell of excrement flooding everywhere and ordinary objects would be seen suspended in the air. So it wasn't just the family that was witnessing these attacks. Friends of the family would come into the house. They would see the boy sitting in a chair and then quickly without any warning he was thrown from it and he would land many feet away. That can kind of be done, can't Mm -hmm. it? Mm. But it was the first time that someone outside the house had witnessed the weird incidents and, of course, that person would then go and tell others. So this is where it all started to come out about it because the family kind of kept it hush-hush, yeah. But then things started to go wrong at school. So it, it was about this stuff starting to peak. Roland found it hard to stay at school and the family actually took him out of the classes and literally had this child housebound. So he became homeschooled? Mm-hmm. But it came to a head when Roland's mother walked into the bedroom and she found his bed shaking and decided that enough was enough. So she tried to speak to him or speak to who she thought was Roland But Roland seemed to be possessed by his aunt and she would then go, okay, I'm going to go with this. I'm going to speak to the aunt. And she started to ask the aunt to stop this. It was driving the family and Roland insane. But then Roland said, you know, I'm the devil. Oh, very good, Renato. And of course, she backed out slowly from the room and <laughs> run went, away, oh, run away. Okay, it's time to call the police. I'm the priest. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to call the priest. And that's when the Jesuits got involved. I could see a t shirt with that. It's time to call the priest. Considering you're wearing a t shirt today, it says dress to possess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, this is really interesting. The priests in the movie are based on real-life clergymen. And I just want to tell you this bit because this is 
quite eye-opening. Roland was taken to Georgetown University Hospital, which is a Jesuit-run institution where he could be cared for. So they took him out of home and they thought, well, putting him in the institution would Mm -hmm. mean that he would get 24-hour observation. Now, rumours abounded, including that the priests wore rubber clothing under their cassocks as the boy kept urinating on them. (laughs) Oh, but they they just happened to have those rubber suits handy to put on, didn't they? It's obviously part of the priest's standard garb to have rubber suits in the closet. So attempts to exercise him began in earnest. Otherwise known as a (laughs) wetsuit. And in the middle of the first try, Roland broke free of his restraints and he slashed one of the priests with a bed spring yes. on the arm, maiming him for life. The records also state that there appeared scratches on the boy's body for about four successive nights and after the fourth night, words were written in printed form. So these letters were clear but seemed to have been scratched on the body by claws. And just five days after that, Roland went home. <laughs> no, we can't deal it was, with this. It was time for roast dinner, so Roland went home. Oh, no. Oh, Now, public records actually show that Roland stayed in the hospital under his real name and that he actually did have medical and psychiatric evaluations at that time. Did you get his real name? No. It's really no. closely held secret, that. Mm. And his parents just decided that maybe the best thing to do would be to have him baptised. And let's they, really piss yeah, off the they, devil. <laughs> they, they they were talking about this on the car going home, and Roland actually turned to his uncle, who was in the car at the time while he was driving, and screamed, "You son of a b i t c h!" Screaming at him. That's the word, bitch. And you didn't know. And said, "I'm. I'm. If you think I'm going to be baptized, then you are going to be fooled." D D D Roland. Oh my goodness. He's a naughty boy. He needs his mouth washed up. Very, very naughty boy. He said he'd fly into a rage, had to be uh, restrained. Every time they asked him if he renounced the devil, he would go into absolute hysterics. Hysterics. Otherwise known as possession. Yep. They took him to his uncle and aunts. Things started to happen there. The desperate parents end up calling a police, uh, a priest again. I can't say the the word priest. That's because she's possessed by a devil (laughs) and can't use that word. And it was Father William Bowden, who was 52, who ended up coming in and fixing it. Yep. Fixed it, put a Band-Aid on it. He fixed it better. (laughs) You're done. Off you go, son. Yep. Yeah, but in the end, allegedly, the exorcisms worked. Roland was released of the demon and lived happily ever after as a normal, normal person. And this is where I step in and call bullshit. Okay, you go ahead. (laughs) This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Before I have to say the word priest, police again. So the name Roland Doe was actually assigned to him by the Catholic Church. They picked the name for him because they wanted his name to remain private. And there's been many people who have dug around trying to find the real name. And there is actually one person who wrote an article called The Haunted Boy Mm -hmm. who did find his name. Mm went up to him and asked him to to talk about it. He's still alive today and he's about 70 and he refuses to talk about it, refuses to acknowledge it. But apparently after the exorcism, the boy has no recollection of what happened at all. That's true. It's completely wiped. Now, this is, as we like to tell people, this is where the Ouija board was demonised because his aunt was a spiritualist. Yes. And she used to use Ouija board. And apparently Roland expressed interest in the Ouija board and she taught him how to use it. Mm-hmm. And the the theory behind this is that when she passed, because they were quite close, that Roland may have used a Ouija board to try and contact 
uh-huh. her, her. Right. And that's when the whole Captain Howdy comes into it, which is not real. So apparently Roland was an only child and quite often would depend on adults in the household as his playmates. He didn't have many friends, according to this article that I read. And so his interactions were more at an adult level than what the standard children would be. And in some of the articles I found, they do actually refer to him being at school and that he was a prankster. Mm -hmm. He loved to play pranks and would get in trouble quite often for the amount of pranks that he would play. Mm -hmm. So that is a big red herring in my mind that this child who was used to adult interaction and is now playing rather adult jokes, maybe he was possessed, and I use inverted commas there. Now, the general consensus about Roland, who also is referred to as Robbie in some accounts, is that he was acting out either due to emotional problems or a psychiatric episode. And some people were saying that it was nothing supernatural that took place at all. So he he did get checked out for his mental illness and the psychiatrists were inclined to believe that what was happening was some sort of mental illness, whereas the priests were looking at it and they looked at it as, well, this is obviously demonic possession. And this is where our bias comes into play. Now, bias is on both sides Mm -hmm. because if the psychiatrists are scientifically trained and have no belief in spirituality or anything like that, they're not even going to consider possession. Mm -hmm. That's true. And that goes the other way with the priests as well, that they may see this as a sign from God and it's the whole warfare thing going on. In actual fact, they do say that at least one exorcism was probably performed on the boy Mm -hmm. in real life. Now, from what I could read, the story that Blatty has fleshed out came from a diary that was found by one of the priests who were involved in the case. Now, the diary was supposedly only 16 pages long and it was to show what worked and what didn't work during a possession Mm -hmm. or an exorcism so that there would be some sort of guide for other people that came along. There were three priests in attendance during this exorcism and the third priest was Thomas O'Halloran and he actually doubts it was a possession and says so. There is a a book by Thomas B. Allen called Possessed about the exorcism of Roland Doe and the two main priests believed, and they were older, they believed it was a possession, Mm -hmm. but Thomas Halloran didn't think it was. Mm -hmm. And who's going to listen to him? Mm -hmm. I mean, the church are going to support the, the ones that do believe that it is an exorcism because, you know, we all like the spiritual warfare. And they they have to show the power of the church to mm-hmm. win uh, over this as well. So it has to it has to finish off on a good note. It has to be something that is sorted. But how this story became really meaty was because of the media. Mm-hmm. Now I, I know this has happened in a few cases with oh, what was the one we did with England, the Pontefract. Pontefract. Yeah, remember the media got hold of that. Yes. And they, they made it bigger than Ben-Hur. Mm-hmm. So there's this really awesome guy 
Let me find his name. It's a really unusual last name. Obsessnik. Oh, thank you. She said it for me. I'm dreadful with names. And he started to trace the timeline and see where it all came from, where all the information, well, its source really. Mm -hmm. So he spent hours and hours talking to people in various towns. And the thing was, it was said it was in Mount Rainier, right? Mm -hmm. It never was. It never was. Mm -hmm. No, all the people that were in Mount Rainier, particularly the, the older generation, he went and interviewed them, the families who were establishing families, no one had heard of these people. They'd heard of the story, Mm -hmm. but nobody had heard of these people. But he did find a resident who said he was good friends with Father Hughes, the priest involved in the case, as was my brother Herbert. Father Hughes told me two things. One, that the boy lived in Cottage City, and the other is that he went on to graduate from Gonzaga High and turned out fine. Mm -hmm. Right, So that's from going to the actual person. Now, the reporters claimed that it was a 13 or 14-year-old, but the actual birth date of this person meant it was 13. They were 13 when the exorcism happened. Later accounts declared the home address to be 3210 Bunker Hill Road and that his first exorcism was at Georgetown University Hospital. Now, the media first became involved in the case when the Washington Post ran an article Pastor Tells Eerie Tale of Haunted Boy. But the way it was written was almost tongue-in-cheek. It wasn't actually written with a great deal of seriousness, but of course, makes a better story if you take it all seriously, doesn't it? Mm. And it doesn't say how you're supposed to read it. So there will yeah. certainly be people who read it and say this is absolute true. And they reported that there were scratching noises from the, the house's walls and mm-hmm. the bed would shake violently. I'm sure any 13-year-old boy's bed shakes violently sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And objects such as fruit and pitchers would jump to the floor in the boy's presence. Mm-hmm. The minister was described as being intensely sceptical and arranged for the boy to spend the night on February 17th at his home. Oh, okay. With the boy sleeping nearby in a twin bed. I'm being very careful. I'm being very careful. The minister reported that in the dark (laughs) he heard vibrating sounds from the bed and scratching sounds on the wall. Yep. Yeah, she's, she's maintaining a straight face. During the rest of the night, he allegedly witnessed some strange events. A heavy armchair in which the boy sat seemed tilted on its own and tipped over, and a pallet of blankets on which the sleeping boy lay inexplic- inexplicably moved around the room. Mm. So that's from the Washington Post, mm-hmm. okay? Then the evening star jumps in because they don't want to miss out on a good story. And their heading is, Minister tells parapsychologist noisy ghost-plagued family. Mm-hmm. So what's noisy ghost? Poltergeist. Poltergeist. How old's the boy? 13. Hello. Here we are. Here we are. So Roland again, they describe the house and the strange activity of the poltergeist. And they also refer to the Society of Parapsychology. Now, this is good that we're getting into parapsychology. Now, they report that Roland made two trips to a mental hygiene clinic and that during an earlier trip to the Midwest, the boy had been subjected to three different rites of exorcisms by three different faiths. The Episcopal, 
Did I say it right? Mm-hmm. Lutheran and Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. So we've got a little bit of contradictions, things happening there. One said it was one. Now we've got three from different faiths. Mm-hmm. Yours said it was multiple. Mm-hmm. Now we go to the Times Herald. Oh, the newspapers do love a story, don't they? The haunted boy's parents tell of ghost messages. This one's a rehash of two other accounts and they've added their own little bit of spice to it. That They talk about they found dermographic messages written in a rash on the boy's body. So a rash. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, one story that I read actually said that Satan, a, a picture of Satan appeared on his leg. Oh, what does Satan look like? Oh, I don't know. Did he have horns? I don't know. Oh, I need to see that picture. Mm-hmm. Of course it doesn't exist. The article states that when the messages were brought to the attention of the minister involved, he could detect nothing more than an ordinary rash. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. Paradolia on the leg. The family reported the boy was taken to St. Louis, where he returned to normalcy after experiencing visions of St. Michael chasing the devil away. Now we go on to the evening star. Mm -hmm. Priest freed boy of possession by devil, church sources say. Oh, dear. Catholic priest has successfully freed a 14-year-old Mount Rainier boy. Oh, and, you know, it's just... It goes on and on. It goes on on and and on. on. Mm -hmm. All these different things. There's even the parapsychological bulletin. In August 1949, number 14, report of a poltergeist. Mmm. Which would make more sense that it is some sort of psi ability. Yes. PSI, psi. Yeah. That is happening from a 13-year-old boy. But, of course, we had the true professionals go in very recently. Who are they, Renata? She's got no idea. Not the Warrens. No. Zach Baggins. Oh, <laughs> What? Ghost Adventures. They did a lockdown in the house that all of this supposedly happened oh, in. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm shocked. <laughs> and, boy, did things go down for them. Oh, really? Oh, you surprised? I can't believe that they would have been given the authority to go into a home to do an investigation. They must have paid a lot of money. That's all I can say because the people that live in that house must be hounded by people mm-hmm. wanting to come in. Yeah. Now that Ghost Adventures has done it, it would be even worse. Yes. So while they were setting up and they were discussing whether they should use the Ouija board, mm-hmm. the thermal imaging camera switched off. Oh, my goodness. Now I have it- one of these thermal imaging cameras yes. and if you don't press record. It switches off it automatically. It switches off automatically. <laughs> To save battery. That's right. So the ghosts can drain it later. We won't mention that. No one say a word. Now we, we've got here the spirit box voices. It said, he needs help. Then it said, Ouija board. Then it said, trouble. Then it said, devil. And then finally, Diablo. And then oh, apparently there was one more, come in, demon. Right. Yeah. Now, poor old Zach, was there physical harm involved? Well, Zach felt a dark entity around him. (laughs) 
Oh, stop it, Renata. Now, there's equipment malfunctions with the window shut and the air conditioner removing any humidity. There was no explanation as to why the humidity rose by 10% along with a five-degree temperature increase. It had nothing to do with the fact that there was a lot of people with cameras and lights in a small room breathing heavily. Nothing. That would make the temperature rise and <laughs> the humidity increase. No, no, no. Oh, no. There was some equipment malfunction. Bill and Aaron both felt some static electricity around them. As Zach was using religious terminology, a blue ball manifested. Oh, let's not talk about blue balls. <laughs> a blue ball manifested behind Zach and then disappeared near Zach. Mm-hmm. And there was a loud bang. Right. Okay. So there's your evidence from the exorcist house. <laughs> I think I might break Renata again. Oh, Lordy me. <gasps> But there is a, a book that Mark Opsonik. Obsessnik. Obsessnik. It's awesome, people. Which we, really, we, we yeah. tried to get hold of, but it's not available at the moment. So I would love to get hold of that yeah. and read it. We might put a, up a, a, a picture of the book. Yeah. It's called The Haunted Boy. But yeah. he, he did do mm-hmm. uh, an awesome article in Strange Magazine where I've got a lot of the information from. But let me just finish off from the Skeptics Magazine. Okay. All right. So Blatty's work as a massive structure of fantasy resting on a flimsy foundation of a priest's diary account of the Mount Rainier case. The exorcist story gets less and less impressive the farther away it gets from the film that made it famous. As is often the case, sensationalism, hyperbole and myths replace fact and reality when it comes to making a good story. Mm, that's right. Let, let nothing stand in the way of a good story. So, Renata. Can I just finish? Oh, gosh, very, she has to get quickly. the last no, can word. Can I just finish very, very quickly? Because, I mean, this all adds to the intrigue of it. There were so many things that went wrong during the movie oh, that they did think that the, the movie itself was cursed. So there was an unexplained fire, and I'll go through this very quickly. So they set up the set and... Everything on the set burnt except for Reagan's room. That stood standing complete. Ellen Burstyn, who was one of the main actresses, she had a permanent spine injury occur when the harness that she was wearing, one of the scenes malfunctioned and she landed on her bottom with great impact and she had a spinal injury occur at that point. Now that's actually captured on film and they haven't taken that out. So the the scream of pain you hear is real. Mm -hmm. There were nine deaths of people who had appeared in the movie some died very, very soon after the movie wrapped. But people so, die. This is this is the thing. No, it's, it's, no, no, oh. no. It's all associated with the movie. Jason Miller, who played Father Karras, was approached on the street by a priest. The priest gave him a medallion and said to him, reveal the devil for the trickster that he is. He will seek retribution against you and he will even try to stop what you are trying to do to unmask him. Now, Linda Blair had a mental breakdown. Well, who would have thunk oh, God, yeah. that that was going to happen? So she started to have mental breakdowns and nervous breakdowns during the filming. Poor darling. We have to remember she's only 13 years old. The first time the film was screened 
at Rome. Uh, it was at a theatre located between two churches. On the day of the screening, there was torrential rain and a lightning storm brewing in the background to create that haunting effect. One All of the, provided by the devil, no doubt. One of the 400-year-old crosses was struck by lightning and it fell right in the middle of the piazza. Oh, the, the producers couldn't have asked for anything better. Mm, and while writing the book... The presence of the darkness is so strong with William Batty that he experienced strange and supernatural activities such as things randomly levitating in the air. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe him. There is a great quote here, which I'm going to finish up on, and it is from some information written by Michael E. Haskew about the original exorcism of uh, Roland Doe. And this little quote, I think, says it all. Anyone who dares make a film about the devil is asking for trouble. (laughs) Well, now we need to ask, is this a true haunting? Nope, 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 nope. The boy was known to be a trickster. I think it was a joke that went too far. If anything was involved, it would have been some sort of poltergeist activity. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he's had an exorcism and is immediately cured, Mm -hmm. I think that he was getting tired of the whole thing and stopped the 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 acting mm. really and that the the whole thing the whole story is based on these 16 pages of scribbled notes yeah from a priest that was involved let me end on this all kudos to william blatty who wrote a book that is now a memorable piece of work whether you think it's crap or not this changed the face of belief. It really did. For better or worse? For worse, but it had an effect. Yeah. It it literally had an effect. And this is where the the Ouija boards were demonised. Yep. So from there on, fear guides people's decisions. So be aware of your biases, people, because they will influence the way you look at the world. Mm. That brings us to the end of this week's episode of True Hauntings. Thank you so much for joining us yet again. Make sure you uh, find us on Facebook, Anne and Renata, Frightfully Good. We're also on TikTok, Anne and Renata, YouTube, Anne and Renata. This seems to be a recurring theme, mm-hmm. theme here. But if you have enjoyed it, share it around. Show everyone. We love to have a laugh when we love to provide you with the information. Make sure that you have subscribed and, and reviewed and done everything you can to help us spread this around the world. Like a disease. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, guys. We'll see you next week on True Hauntings. Bye for now. See you on the dark side. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.annandrenata.com. True Hauntings is a part of the Human Labs Podcast Network. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 